Good morning and welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege of coming into your home and sitting down and reading the Bible and praying and worshiping God together. You, you could give me no greater gift as a pastor than to open your life to me. Paul said, open your heart wide to me as I have opened my heart to you. You could give Sister Bev and I and shout no greater gift than to open your hearts to us and allow us to open our hearts to you and let's just follow Jesus together. As we come to prayer today, I want to remind you that Paul says in Romans 13 that part of my job is to teach you to be submissive, not just obedient. Obedience is an action. Submissive is an attitude. Submissive to governing authorities. So I know things are getting a little more hot. We're beginning to see articles out in Kazan City where some areas are getting a little more hot. Demonstrations are beginning, not, not just here in our nation, but other nations of the world. Things are beginning to heat up because people don't like being restricted to their homes. And, you know, you got to admit, it gets a little frustrating, especially in hot season. This is why we're teaching you about endurance at night, hupomone. God will give us the gift of cheerful patience. God will give us the gift of cheerful persistence, of cheerful constancy. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that we've enjoyed studying. Tonight, I'm going to start teaching you about God gives us the gift of encouragement. You and I have to understand, if we're going to be encouraged, if our heads are going to be lifted, it's because God does that. We can look at some of the most devastating things in the world, and we can be encouraged because God puts encouragement in our hearts. But that's tonight. Let's open our hearts right now in prayer. Father, our hearts are full. Jesus, we remember all that you did for us on the cross, all that you suffered and died for. You redeemed us from the curse of the plague that sticks to us from Deuteronomy 28. Jesus, you healed people of the plague in your day, and you still heal us today. God, you promised that you would keep the plague from coming near our dwelling place. Father, we are so grateful for all of your precious promises and for your faithfulness to those promises. Not one word shall fall to the ground, Lord. All of your promises shall come to pass. We'll speak the amen of them, the amen to them in Christ Jesus. Father, I lift you, my brothers and sisters, right now. I continue to ask, Lord, for wonderful ideas just coming from all kinds of sources to be given to them. But Lord, that they will not end this thing down. They will end this thing up. The Father, they will not end this situation with less. They will end this situation with more. Father, we thank you that your hand of blessing is upon our lives. We want to end this situation with more, not end it with less, because of your gracious hand upon our lives. I pray for all of our people, Lord, that are just... Lord, their needs are met, everything is fine, but they're just frustrated. They're just frustrated. They want to go out and do things. They want to accomplish things. They don't want to look at the same four walls. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you just put the gift of cheerful patience within their hearts. That, Lord, that you just let your gracious hand rest upon them that you fill their hearts with cheerful patience, with hupomone, and that, Father, you are the lifter of their heads today. Let them settle into this thing, Father, and plan, and, Lord, they're going to do greater things than they've ever dreamed of before. I pray for hearts that are discouraged, Lord, about their dreams. Lord, that dream isn't going to go away. 
<laughs> you didn't give them that dream just to take it away from them. God, you don't tease us. You promise us. Oh, Father, let that truth settle into every heart. You're not the God who teases. You're the God who promises. Oh, Father, let those dreams grow even stronger in the hearts of your sons and daughters today. Let those dreams grow stronger for their own homes, Father, for their own businesses, Father, for those promotions. Let those dreams grow even stronger in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for all of our, our ladies who are pregnant. Father, they're concerned about that unborn child. Oh, Lord, just let your presence wrap around that child in the womb. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, you put all those natural protections in that mother. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, let there be a supernatural protection. The supernatural protection of your presence around every unborn child in Jesus' name. Father, we know there's been a lot of conceptions during this period, and we're going to see a lot of babies in December and January. Father, I thank you that your hand is upon every one of those babies as they begin to grow, that your hand is upon every one of those little tiny embryos as they begin to grow. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be normal. And Lord, let there be no fear in the hearts of your daughters about that unborn child. Your hand is upon that child. These child will be born strong and healthy and complete and perfect in Jesus' name. I thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we open our hearts to your word today, let our hearts burn within us as you teach us. Lord, let us look at simple truths and teach us how to live. Teach us your ways that we can walk in them today, Father. We don't want to be a people that just stumble around and look to the world for wisdom. Lord, your word says that if we lack wisdom, we can come to you. And you'll give it to us liberally and without reproach. Let your wisdom flow into the hearts of your people today. Father, I pray for young people. They're learning lessons. <laughs> They're learning lessons of a lot of things that are just unnecessary in life. Father, let these lessons stay strong within them. We have a generation of young people that have never grown up knowing need. They've never grown up in want. They've always grown up with full bellies when they went to bed at night. Father, this has been such a blessed generation. Let this generation learn lessons now that will take them to do the greatest things any generation of our people has ever done. Let this next generation build upon all the things that you've given to us and do the greatest things. Take a nation, take a world for Christ. I thank you for it, Father. But teach them these lessons. Teach them the lessons in these days necessary to do great things, not just to do little things. Teach them the lessons to do great things in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for all of the frontliners today. Lord, all of our family members. These are our people, Father, but these are your sons and your daughters. And they're standing there so selflessly, giving themselves to care for the sick. They're standing there putting themselves in harm's way just to care for others. Lord, I ask for supernatural protection upon every one of their lives. And if that virus touches their bodies, Father, let the life of God rise up from within them and kill it in Jesus' name. 
Let the life of God quicken them by the Holy Spirit, Lord. That same life that raised you from the dead, let that same spirit quicken, give life to their bodies, and let that life kill that virus. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. All right, stand with me now. Let's spend some time in worship. What did I fall in? 
Every morning, we'd like to get started with Psalms chapter 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague 
come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, <laughs> I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Did you hear that? Some of you right now go, oh, pastor, I'm in so much trouble. Well, I will be with him in trouble. That's his promise to you, my brothers and sisters. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Faithful is he who has promised. Now, I've asked you to send us testimonies, and so many of you are helping us out with this. And, you know, the reason for this is to provide encouragement and to provide ideas. God has given you an idea, and people can look at it and go, I can do that. I can do that. You know, you, you, you laugh at that statement. Years ago, T.L. Osborne, maybe arguably the greatest healing evangelist of our generation, T.L. Osborne was a total failure as a missionary to India. And he went to a crusade where there was another healing evangelist. He'd left the field, he'd left India and gone back to America in failure. And he stood there in a healing crusade. And God spoke to him and said, you can do that. <laughs> oh, God can speak to you. God can take what somebody else is doing and say, you can do that. You can look at that in your heart and go, I can do that. I, I can see. That's something that I can do. And watch how God begins to bring provision. Now, we have a short testimony, but it's a cute one and a good one. Hello, C.O.P. I am Sister Eden Enoch. I am Arden Enoch. We are praising God for giving us an idea to have extra source of income in the middle of this pandemic crisis. Ako po ay isang jeepney driver. Dahil lockdown po, wala po akong biyay at walang kita. Sibalit nagkapasalamat kami sa Panginoon dahil ibinibigay niya ang aming mga pangangailangan sa pamamagitan ng munti naming business. Ito po yung aming munting bahay kubo na kung saan ay nakakatulong po kami sa aming mga kapitbahay sa pagbabahagi ng munting tindahan na ito. Truly, God is faithful to His promises. Maraming salamat po. Amen. <laughs> Now remember, God does not bless the sitting on our butts. God blesses the work of our hands. So let me encourage you. Let God give you an idea. See something that you can do and do it and watch God bless. You will end this thing stronger. You will end this thing more prosperous. You will end this thing well. It's not over till it ends in praise. I love that song. All right, would you open your Bibles now with me for our New Testament passage to the book of Luke chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Now, I know it looks like we're going back in history, but we're actually finishing Holy Week. I mean, this is, this is the Holy Week passage in the book of Luke. We are into Holy Week now. Jesus is teaching daily in the temple. He stays every night in Bethany outside the city, and then every day he comes in. He walks all the way down that Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up through the Eastern Messiah's Gate, the Golden Gate, and goes to the temple courts and the people. Scripture says all the city would come out to hear him teach. And it's a huge temple courts area. You can see how it happened. 
Now, one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, so he's there in the temple area teaching the people during Holy Week and preaching the gospel. So he's teaching and he's preaching. There's a place for both. Some people think, well, Jesus only preached. No, Jesus preached, but Jesus also taught. We need preaching and we need teaching. He was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. The chief priests, now notice, priests plural. Now, if you go back and you study the law of Moses, there was only one chief priest. There was only one high priest. But you see, everything had changed in that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. They have man-made offices now. Now we have chief priests. There's a man-made office. And we have scribes. These are the guys that make copies of the law. That's another man-made office. With the elders, this would be like the members of the Sanhedrin court, they came up and said to him, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? Now, I want you just to stop right there. Notice, they didn't ask who gave you the authority to teach. They asked who gave you the authority to do these things. What were the things he had done? Kicked over the money changers' tables? Droven out the people selling, the corrupt selling? cleansing the temple of all the corruption. They were upset. He had hindered their income. He had hindered their money-making machine. And so they came and they said, who gave you authority to do these things? They weren't challenging the validity of his teaching. They were challenging the authority by which he acted in his own father's house. Now, I want you to notice, who, who questioned the authority? It was the self-called, self-made, self-proclaimed leaders. It wasn't the true leaders. It wasn't Simeon and Anna who were there at his baptism. It wasn't John the Baptist who announced, behold, the Lamb of God. It was these self-called, self-proclaimed that went around challenging the actions of a true leader who had cleansed the temple of their corruption. He answered them, I will also ask you a question. By what authority? Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another. Now stop right there. You don't need to discuss truth. Truth is truth. You don't need to have a discussion if somebody asks you, is the sun shining? You look up and you see the sun shining and say, yes. Truth is truth. But they discussed among themselves. You, you don't need to discuss truth. Truth needs no discussion. It's as obvious as the nose on your face. But they discussed with one another. Now, why do they need this discussion? If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? So in other words, it's not that they just didn't accept Jesus. They didn't accept John. If we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered him that they did not know where it come from, came from. So in other words, we're not going to tell you, because you know what? We just don't know. They did know. They knew the truth, and they knew what they believed, and they knew what the people believed. You see, religious politicians never want to take a stand. Now, you just need to get a hold of that. 
religious politicians are very politically correct. They don't want to take a stand. They they want everybody to like them. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid that people will stop coming to their church. You know, if you're a pastor listening to me, you need to get over that. Now, this gives you no reason to go be mean-spirited and hurt people, but it does mean, you know, a religious politician is always concerned about, I'm afraid of the people and won't give real answers. So they answered him that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So, you know, basically the principle is simply this. Don't answer people who are not seeking truth. Don't answer people who will not live in truth. If you answer people who don't live in truth, forgive me, they're just going to twist your words. They're just going to, to manipulate your words and take them out of context. So Jesus teaches us an incredible principle of leadership here. Don't answer people who don't live in truth. People who are religious politicians, don't answer them. Don't play the gotcha game. Gotcha. Okay, we now we can attack you. Don't play the gotcha game. If you're a Christian leader, if people don't live in truth, don't answer them. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he began to tell the people this parable. So now he turns away from these scribes, Sanhedrin, the elders, the chief priests. He, he turns away from these big shots in the temple courts. And he turns back to the people that he's been teaching and preaching the gospel to. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went to another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to his tenants so that they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, and they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What am I to do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. Now, let me just stop there. There's so many levels of truth here that is just absolutely amazing. Here's one of those levels of truth. In a world today, and please, you're going to get mad at me when I say this. In a world today when it looks like unions believe that they own the assets of companies and not the people who invested the money to build a company. You know, we have a place where people think that they own the company. Now, do I believe that owners of companies should treat their employees right and treat them generously? Yes. I mean, these forgive me, the employees are your greatest asset. If you own a business, the employees are your greatest asset. You couldn't use your facilities and your buildings and your equipment without good employees. They're your greatest asset. But that does not give the employees the right to feel that they own the assets. Because you see here, they said, so that the inheritance may be ours. The employees wanted to take away the investment of the owner. Now, there's one level of truth. But the other level of truth continues. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then would the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now, notice, these people thought, surely this, this can't be true. They knew what Jesus was talking about. This parable was, was as obvious as a pimple on a nose. He's saying, listen, the Father sent the prophets, and you killed them. The Father sent the prophets all through the ages, sent the prophets, and you rejected them and beat them up. And now the Father has sent me, his son, his son, and you're going to kill me. And the people said, surely not. You see, common people think that other people are good. Surely not. Surely, surely this wouldn't happen. And Jesus said, no, let me show it to you from the scripture. It actually will happen. Now, at this point, people's hearts are still with Jesus. Now, later, their hearts will be fickle and they'll turn against Jesus. But at this point, their hearts are still with Jesus. Are still with Jesus. Now, the scribes and the chief priests and the elders, they're all still standing there. Verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. Now, we're not talking about laying hands to bless. We're talking about laying hands, all right? Sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Okay, it's as plain as a pimple on your nose. He's talking about them. But they feared the people. Now, this is one of those things that you have to understand. In today's modern Christian world, people say, oh, you know, a leader should never say anything critical of another pastor, of another, of another pastor who is doing things. Well, excuse me, Jesus was extremely critical of these religious leaders. Extremely critical. Whoa. Because they were wrong. Sometimes you just got to stand up and say the things that people are doing is wrong. Now, the chief priests and the scribes sought to lay hands on him. They, they wanted to kill him at that very hour because he had humiliated them before the people. He had shamed them before the people. He had exposed them before the people. But they feared the people. Now notice, they would not answer truthfully because they were afraid of the people. Now they won't even, their, their fear of the people is stronger than their hatred of Jesus. <laughs> People often ask me, what is the most powerful force in a corrupted person? Politics. It's more powerful than fear. Unless it's fear for their life. They feared the people. If the people are going to turn on us, even our political ambitions are not as strong as our desire for self-preservation. Now, fear even though political, po political desires are so strong, the fear of losing everything, because the people, it's even stronger than politics. The fear of self-preservation is even stronger than political ambitions. Now, you can go meditate on that one for a while. So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as deliver, to deliver him over to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now notice, 
They're afraid of the people. Their desire for self-preservation is stronger than their political desires. Even though political desires are so strong, their desire of self-preservation is even stronger. And their desire of self-preservation is even stronger than their hatred of Jesus. They wanted to lay hands on him. They wanted to kill Jesus themselves. They wanted to stone him to death themselves. But they said, we'll turn him over to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. We're going to let the governor kill him. The people already hate the governor. The people already hate Pilate. Okay, the people already hate Pilate, so we're going to turn him over to Pilate because it doesn't matter if the people hate Pilate. They already hate Pilate. He's a Roman. But now back up here and notice. They sent spies. They watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. Now, this is one of the things that I never understood as a young Christian and as a young Christian leader. There are groups of leaders who will send spies among you. Believe that or not. And they will watch you carefully. And they will pretend to be sincere. Now, that's the hardest part for me. Pretenders. Pretending to be sincere when what they're really doing is looking to catch you in something that you said wrong, some misstatement, some mistake, where they can just gotcha. It's the game of gotcha. Now, religion has never changed in 2,000 years. Religion still plays the game of gotcha. When God is moving, I, I remember during the revival, there were people who came in among us to watch us. There were people who came in among us pretending to be sincere, when what they were really looking to do is, is find something that we'd done wrong. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand the desire to send spies. If you disagree with somebody, just say you disagree with them and leave them alone. Religion can't do that. So they ask him, teacher, now here's these sincere spy pretenders. So they ask him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but teach the way of God, but truly teach the way of God. Now, whenever somebody opens a question with sip, sip, here's a leadership principle. Whenever somebody opens a question with sip, sip, be careful. That's not sincerity. That's a setup for a gotcha. When people start a question, when people preface a question with flattery, when people preface a question with sip sip, be careful. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us? We're not talking about you, Jesus. Now, this is about us. We're, we're wanting to know this about us. Look at the pretend sincerity. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness. <laughs> I like Jesus. He knew they were playing gotcha. Now listen, if he says no, then the Roman military that are listening to him, because they're all over that top area of, of, the, of the Temple Mount, if he said no, they're going to say, 
He's rebellion. He's teaching the people rebellion. We can turn him over to Pilate. If he says yes, the people resented paying taxes to Caesar. And all these people that are listening to him and hanging on his words will turn against him. Ah, so they're putting him in a trap. Whatever he says, he's damned. I mean, he's whatever he says. He's in trouble. He's condemned. If he says yes, the people will turn on him and hate him. If he says no, they have charges to bring him before Pilate. Oh, Jesus, we just want to know this about us. We're not talking about you pretending sincerity. But Jesus perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and description does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, how clever is that answer? You see, the money changers in the temple, now they shouldn't have been there, but you had to pay the temple tax in temple money. Okay, you, you couldn't pay the temple tax in Roman currency that had a face of a Caesar or something on it because that was considered idolatry. To this day, Israeli money does not have the face of a person upon it. To this day, you find no statues in Israel. They consider all of that graven images. Now, to this day, it's that way. So Jesus said, well, you give the Caesar what a Caesar's. It's got his picture on it. You give it back to him. It's got his picture on it. And you give to God what belongs to God. You give him the coin that is minted there in the temple that is used to pay the temple tax. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. Notice, this is all done publicly. These people never come privately. They always come publicly. They were not able to, in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answers, they became silent. Even his enemies had to marvel at his answers. I mean, please, you know they sat around and had big brainstorming sessions on how we can trap him in his words, and I've got the best question. Their best intellects had worked on ways to to hurt Jesus, and they had failed. And they marveled at the wisdom of his answers. But notice, it was always done in the presence of the people. Because they had, they were afraid of the people. They had to turn the people away from Jesus first. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
All right, would you open your Bibles now to Joshua chapter 23? We're going to finish the book of Joshua today. Now, as you turn there, let me just throw a thought out to you. Paul said the bodily exercises profits a little bit. There is a necessity for bodily exercise. Now, most of us are having a hard time getting exercise. I normally walk 10,000 steps every day. On Sundays, I do about 14,000 just preaching. Um, but right now, I'm doing about 2,000 steps a day, just less marching up and down inside the hallway, you know? Uh, that's marching in place. And some of you are even struggling more than that because of crowded conditions, and it's hot season. Can some of you physical therapists, can some of you exercise gurus, why don't you get on Facebook and give us some simple exercise routines to help us to keep our, our physical body strong and our immune system strong. You can teach people basic planking. You can teach people some basic, basic exercises for cardio, respiratory systems and things. Uh, some of you guys, you have tremendous knowledge in these things. So why don't you use that knowledge to serve the body right now and get some Facebook things out there. Send some to me too, because I gained five pounds. All right. Joshua chapter 23, verse one. After a long time, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies. Isn't that beautiful? There comes a time that God gives you rest and you can just build and grow. And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. So he did this for you. Now, it's really important that you get a hold of that truth. When God does miracles for you, when God transfers assets to you, when God gives you a house and lot that once used to be somebody else's, when God does this for you, he's doing it for you, for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea to the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this very day. Now, please forgive me, but here's some principles that Paul brings out to the church of Corinth, that, that we do not fellowship with unbelievers, that we, we come out and are separate, saith the Lord. Now, these people we work with, and there are, there are office mates, there are classmates, there are people that we sit on the jeepney with and the bus with, but these are not the people that we mix with for, for, for relationships. Now, the problem is that many Christians today are more concerned about the world loving them than God loving them. And he said, listen, you guys need to learn. As Christians, the closest people to us, the people that we mix with, the people that we socialize with and we fellowship with, these are Christians. And, you know, 
Christians get mad at me when I teach these things. And you're saying, Pastor, you're trying to teach exclusivity. No, I'm not. I'm trying to teach you how to make it to heaven. You see, when you start mixing socially with unbelievers, they do things that we don't do. They believe things that we don't believe. They have values that we don't have. They have desires that we don't have. Now, these people are our acquaintances. These are people we work with every day. But when you choose to fellowship, when you choose to to socialize and spend your free time, it should be with believers. Or make mention of the names of their gods. Have you ever noticed in 40 years as your pastor, I've never taught you about the cults. I don't go around and name all the demon gods that are worshipped in the world today. I'm not fascinated in their study. I don't believe in studying false religions. I don't want to know them. I want to cling to God. I I don't want... It's like a few years ago I was in Israel, and the guy who sells me all of my artifacts from my micro-museum, he said, I have the largest uh, collection, and it was one of the ancient demon gods that the prophet spoke against. And he said, I have the largest collection in Israel of these ancient statues. And he named the statue. He said, I'll sell you the entire collection for this price. And I said, I don't want to take demon gods into my house. These are the very things that brought judgment upon Israel. These are the things that brought destruction upon Israel. Why would I want to bring that into my house? And he just looked at me like I'd slap him in the face. I said, see, you're looking at this from archaeology. I'm looking at this from spirituality. And there is a difference. He said, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this very day. My friends, cling to God. Don't don't start flirting with these other religions and stuff. Cling to God. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you puts to, to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. Now notice, the thing that makes you so effective in battle is not your martial arts capability. It's not your Krav Maga, as as people use today. It's because God fights for you. Now, some of you, forgive me, but you need to understand the thing that makes you so effective in business is not your charisma. It's not your, you know, powers salesmanship. It's not your, you know, Carnegie salesmanship. It's God helps you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Be very careful. Now, would you look at that? You know, you you keep wondering why that man looked at Jesus and said, the greatest commandment is this, that you shall love the Lord your God. Jesus said, you've answered well. But you see, the average Christian never thinks about that commandment. The average Christian only thinks of the Ten Commandments. The average Christian only thinks about the dietary laws and the sanitation laws and the clothing laws. They only think of the bowels. They never think about the greatest commandment. And have you noticed how many times through Deuteronomy and Joshua this commandment keeps coming up? Again, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again. Christianity thinks that everything in Judaism was a bunch of of rules and regulations, and there was no relationship. But in actuality, ancient Judaism, true Judaism, was all about loving God. It was all about a relationship with God. (laughs) God's never changed. This is what he's always wanted. Be very careful, therefore, 
to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground the Lord your God has given, given you. He's going to listen. You violate these things that I've asked you to do, and there are consequences for your decisions. Those consequences may not happen immediately, but long-term, they're going to be a snare, a trap, a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this land. You see, there are decisions that we make that bring instantaneous, grievous consequences. And there are decisions that we make that start a series of events in motion. And those series of events may not be fulfilled for 10 years or 20 years. But once they're set in motion, they are set in motion. Some of you, you think that you've made decisions and there have been no consequences. But you don't understand. You turned a switch in the spirit realm. You set some things in motion in the spirit realm. And if you have done this, I, I would humbly beg of you this morning that as soon as we finish, forget finishing right now, you just humble your heart before God and repent and say, God, I made decisions that set things in motion that are just wrong. And long term, it's going to bring devastation and destruction in my life and my family's life. Verse 14, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised you. He said, I don't care about your intellect. He said, but you know in your hearts. He said, you may sit around and debate things, and you may come up with some excuses about some things, and you may have some bad attitudes, but you know in your heart. There's a difference between knowing in your head and knowing in your heart. And, and he said, you know in your hearts that not one word have failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, none of them have failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. And the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So in other words, Joshua is a prophet. Ah, Joshua is a prophet. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. He said, your ancestors served other gods. And this was very much part of Terah's life, the father of Abraham. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. Now there's a key phrase, from beyond the river, beyond the Euphrates. And led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. 
And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. Now remember earlier we talked about when Moses talked about the promised land, God said, you can't touch this land because I gave it to Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Ziphor, king of Moab, rose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gershonites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. Now notice, they defeated the Jebusites once. Remember how often I've said they had conquered Jerusalem once, but they never took possession. They never took over it. They never took possession of it. This is the place that God has chosen, but never until David, hundreds of years later, did anybody finally start working on Let's build a temple for God, the place God has chosen. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. He said, there was a huge transfer of wealth. He said, I didn't just give you money. I didn't just feed you. I transferred assets to you. There was a, a huge transfer of wealth. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, these gods from beyond the river begin to be mentioned again. These gods that Terah and their ancient ancestors worshipped. These gods, and I have to stop because we run out of time, but I want you to go through here and look in, in verses 1 to 3, look in verses 14 to 15, and then look in verse 23. These gods from beyond the river, it's, it's just like God always has a remnant. It's like Satan always has a remnant of his false gods lingering around, hidden away, out of sight among the people of God. These gods from beyond the river that Terah worshipped, that Laban worshipped, that Jacob's wife stole from her father Laban and brought with her, that Jacob took and buried under the oak at Mamre. Somebody went and dug those things up one day because Israel is worshipping them as a nation when they're down in Egypt. And forgive me if you look in verse 23, they're still worshipping them all these hundreds of years later, again, I challenge you. There's a few things God won't tolerate, and that's the worship of false gods. If there's idols in your home of demon gods, now I'm not talking about if you've got a statue of a lion. I got lots of lions around here, but these things are not idols of demon gods. 
These are not things that are worshipped. But if you've got ancient gods, ancient Filipino gods, ancient Chinese gods, ancient Hindu gods, if you've got these ancient gods around, you brought them back from an archaeology site, whatever, those things need to be out of your house. Well, they're part of our family heritage. Yeah, well, they were part of Israel's family heritage, too. Going back over a thousand years, they have to be removed in Jesus' name. All right, I'll see you tonight at six o'clock.